What is going on? It is I, DJ Eastwood, alongside RB Philly Take. And we're going to chop it up. We're going to talk some Sixers. Uh, we're going to give our opinions on on some things. And you be active in the chat and give your opinions on some things. Ask questions. Throw some comments, hot takes out there. And we're just going to chill and chop it up for a little while. What's going on, RB? Let's go, man. What is up? Shout out to the chat. They're already going crazy. Appreciate you having me on, getting this collab together as well. It's been a while, man. I mean, we've been doing this a long time, chatting it up. We figured, hey, let's hop on here. Let's kick back a little bit. I mean, we're in the like beginning, first quarter, end of the first quarter stage of the season. Sixers are about to go on a massive win streak. We'll talk about that. But really, man, I mean, sometimes you just need to take a deep breath kick it back, relax, and chop it up, man. So we we were able to put this together. We know uh, a lot of people love seeing us collab, and it's good to be back on here with you, man. Yeah, bro. One of the first, one of the last times I remember, or one of the ones I clicked on uh, a couple weeks ago was a collab from, like, during COVID. <laughs> I was like, yo, that was crazy. And that was, like, seems so long ago already. Thank God, by the way. But anyway, yeah. Yeah, we've been collabing for a while, man. Um and congrats on all your success, man. Podcast with B-Ball Paul and all that. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. And, uh, hey, man, I'm ready to get this show on the road. And it'll be good. I see the people in the chat already said, someone said we're beefing. Someone said it's been so long we're beefing. <laughs> nah, Just man, grinding. we're not beefing. We, we've been cool really since the, honestly, before I started, um, you commented actually on my first video. And that's then I started watching you. And then we started collabing a little while later. And here we are, man. So, what, four or five years later, congrats on all your success as well. Uh, we've been growing. We've been growing organically, building a community. Appreciate you guys being here, always supporting us. If you're in here, hit the like button on both channels. Hit the subscribe button. You know where to find us, man. So uh, how surreal was it as an independent content creator starting something that you just started making videos in your bedroom to pulling up <laughs> pulling into the driveway of an NBA player's house to do a podcast. <laughs> it was crazy, man. It, it was kind of like all of the hard work, dedication, late nights, as you know, you know, thinking of ideas, long time chatting with the creators, uh, like all of that was just surreal coming together, hit you at once. Like, damn, here we go. You know, it's like little baby steps. And then you find yourself sometimes in opportunities. You got to take them. You got to explore and see how it goes. But all of that together, like from where we started and just to kind of really see how we're, I guess, taking over the media game in general, like all content creators. I mean, I feel like people rely on their daily news now from content creators. Maybe yes, I'm, I'm mistaken, but I want to know about a team or I want to hear about a certain player. I'm looking up a YouTube channel or I'm going on a podcast at this point. So um, I feel like seeing how we revolutionize the game is uh is really impactful um and it's it's been one hell of a ride as you know yeah facts man uh you you, you really got to get b-ball paul to say something crazy though you got to <laughs> you really got to throw throw some bait out there get him to say he just he said it himself a, man <laughs> he, just, he just yeah he called a, he called ad a flopper um he he just said in a in a, a thing after practice he his first thing he said before they asked him any questions he was like don't make me say anything controversial. Yeah. No, exactly. Because, I mean, he'll say it, you know. Like, <laughs> they, they ask the question, he's going to answer back. And 
you know, he, he's a really good dude, man. Very humble and appreciative of his opportunities and, you know, just getting to like see some of the connections through that pipeline, even like sitting down with Nick nurse was incredible. Um, I really think he's the coach that could take this team over the top. Like just being able to talk to him, you see the differences, right? From the other coaches, like he's humble. He's won everywhere. He's appreciative of the opportunity and man, he just works. He's a dog. He fits the mentality of the team. So, um, yeah, it's been really cool sitting down with these guys. Speaking of Nick nurse, uh, like, I guess the first thing I thought of was one of the things the other day that was going back and forth with someone on Twitter was the, the amount of minutes that he plays players. And, you know, the, I was on a Toronto page too, for some reason, and they hate Nick nurse. They talk about Nick nurse kind of the way we talk about the other guy. Like they really do. There, there was a, a, Oh, someone posted a video of a, a Raptors young player shooting a free throw. And the caption was, Nurse would never let a 67% free throw shooter take these free throws. And I, they were saying that he didn't trust young players. And then some, one of the responses was, well, that's because he's a 67% free throw shooter. I just don't. They're like sometimes reaching to kind of say that he was holding the team back or something like that. I just don't really understand it from, from their perspective, but. I think at the end of the day, when teams fail, when organizations fail, it always falls on the coach first. Everybody's going to look at the coach. Um, and I think they have a little bit of bad blood from how it ended, right? There were reports that, you know, the Raptors, uh, GM and, and their ownership didn't see eye to eye. And Nick Nurse was essentially just burning out the starters at this point. And, you know, the way he left Toronto in the, like he got fired. And then he walked down the hallway, saw the GM, Masai Ujiri, and he said, good luck with the talent there. So I feel like did that really happen? I never actually heard that story. Did that really happen? It did happen. Um, Masai Ujiri came out to the podium and he said, you know, I saw Nick a little while ago and he just told me, like, good luck with the talent in there. And pretty much saying, like, you're not going to win anyway. Um, so I feel like that kind of burned a little bit of a bridge there. But when I talk to Nick Nurse and like just seeing the way he has gravitated his team and if you look at his history I mean the guy wins he wins everywhere he goes uh-huh. and overseas he won twice he went to the G League he won twice his first year as a head coach he wins a championship this guy has winning DNA and I just think it's ludicrous that people criticize him I mean it's only it, to me it's almost like the Doug Peterson tenure in Philly like he comes in he wins early on Sometimes things just don't work out. Sometimes you just have to go the other way. Like a change has to be made. Hit the reset button. But that doesn't mean Doug Peterson's a bad coach. It doesn't mean Nick Nurse is a bad coach. Just wasn't the right situation anymore. However, with a guy like Doc Rivers, as we know, it it just, it wasn't going to work. It wasn't going to work regardless. Yeah, there's a difference. You had a, the Sixers have a superstar that, you know, we've been trying to get to the next level. The Raptors, had a superstar and Kyle Lowry and, you know, Van Vliet and Siakam were, were, you know, the, the three and four. And then the top two are out of there and nurse has to try to win with the backups. I mean, the, the three and the four Siakam and Fred Van Vliet. And he probably elevated them higher than uh, other coaches would have, but yeah, the, the, the fans blamed it on, you know, the, the roster is just not good. You got a bunch of six, 10 defensive wings and no real identity. Exactly. And you're not going to win without a superstar. And the point that you just made, I don't know why people never bring that up. Kawhi Leonard leaves after one season. They win a championship. 
first off, they haven't had a championship roster since. So he wasn't going to win. He didn't have a star. I'm sorry to break it to you if there's Raptor fans in here, but Siakam is not a number one option. He's not a star. I don't yeah. even think he's a number two at this point at some points. And in addition to that, Nick Nurse went out the year after and they were still a top two seed or top three seed, whatever they were. So he won coach of the year that following year. He elevated the talent. They weren't going to win a championship, but he did elevate that talent. And yeah. for the first season, he finally has a superstar player again since coaching Kawhi Leonard when they went and won the NBA Finals. Yeah, I'm getting well actually in the chat already. I didn't mean Kyle Lowry was a superstar. That should be pretty obvious. I meant Kawhi Leonard was a superstar. Kyle Lowry was a high-level, all-star level point guard, you know? Um. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, people in the chat, they're, they're going to try to pick apart everything we say. I mean, <laughs> somebody earlier was saying, I, I didn't see who it was, but they were like, I was talking about how, you know, like content creators kind of do a good job of, of breaking the news down, like, and they've become accustomed platforms. And somebody said, like, uh, we're not their boss or something, like, just something ridiculous, you know? It's like, come on now, guys. Come on. Anyway, what can you do? Um, yeah, the the minutes, somebody was kind of going back and forth with me about the minutes that he plays. Uh, and I, I don't know how you feel about it, but like NBA players can't play 40 minutes of basketball. Like, I don't understand where this came from. Uh, you know what I mean? This whole Tyrese Maxey's playing 37 minutes a game, 38 minutes a game. And I'm like, what? I feel like Tyrese Maxey could play three hours of basketball. I know it's at a very high level, but when did when did the science become so in-depth that you got to try to play a player 34 minutes instead of 37. We're talking about three entire minutes of basketball. You know what I'm saying? And then I I just looked it up. Allen Iverson averaged 41 minutes a game his in his entire career. Averaged 41. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, <laughs> the game is different nowadays. I think people are so just overly hyperactive when it comes to oh how many minutes is this guy playing how many games how many back-to-backs and the funniest thing is that these guys are getting paid more than ever now to show up right so and that's why they're trying to make these rules where you know you have to technically i guess say you're hurt or resting or whatever you're sick you know rather than just saying i'm load managing because people are out yeah. there paying a lot of money and nowadays i mean it's crazier like these guys will sit out an entire season for 30 million dollars like, if you said that to somebody back in 2002, they would look at you like, you know, you were crazy. And yeah. I, I just think it's it's kind of ruining the game a bit. But at the same time, these guys are always injured when we get to April and May. So it's like, where do you find the balance? If you cut the games, well, guess what? Not enough revenue to go around. I, I mean, they're adding games. They're adding in-season tournaments yeah. to make it interesting. Uh -huh. And I don't know. I guess we're going to see down the stretch, like, will guys still be injured? Will they be injured more this year? It's something to keep in mind. If they're going 120% in the in-season tournament, how much will that impact their health come playoff time? Yeah, I don't I don't know if I really believe that a certain amount of minutes per game impacts how whether a player's injured or not by the end of the season. You know what I mean? If you really look at it, guy got elbowed in the face, guy landed on someone's foot, sprained his ankle, Guy landed wrong on his knee. Like, I just don't really think it has anything to do with how many minutes they're playing. I think players just get injured or they don't get injured. Especially, you know, uh, living the past couple of years watching Joel Embiid. It's, it, we've tried to load manage him. It, he still gets injured. It just doesn't matter. 
which I like the approach this year. I like Nurse's approach this year. Let's just play him. If he gets hurt, we're screwed. You can't play the game like, oh, remember the first couple of years, the minutes restriction and all that stuff? Like, you got to just play. If he gets hurt, you're done. But you can't not play because you might get hurt and then you never play. Like, I, you know, I just, yeah. But I like I like what Nurse is doing this year, and I don't think the I don't think the total amount of minutes is as big of a deal as everyone makes it sound. I'm gonna trust the Nurse and his philosophy. I mean, again, the guy has won everywhere he's gone. He understands the differ the differentiating factors between overseas and G League, and you know when he was in the G League, like 20 of his players got called up. He just knows how to make these guys um, NBA ready. And the the one thing that I really enjoyed when talking to him was that he said, you know, 50% of our offense isn't even instilled yet. Like, we're only, you know, 10, 20 games into the season, and we're not showing you all the tricks. We're not going to come out and do what we're going to do in April and May yet. Give us some time to evolve. It takes time to learn the system and also learn the pieces and how they fit into a coach's philosophy. So I think he's on the right track right now. Yeah, I think so too. So let's do like... uh First quarter of the season recap. Um, because, in my opinion, the 76ers started out hot. One of the main reasons, another thing people are in my comments for all the time, I honestly believe one of the main reasons the Sixers were so hot to start the season was Kelly Oubre. I honestly believe that. Uh, I, I don't think he's a superstar. I don't think he's a guy that's going to lead you in the playoffs. It's not... You know what I'm saying? I'm just saying the Sixers, especially with the Sixers' lack of just that guy, that six seven super athletic wing, plug-and-play guy. No real, doesn't need a strategy, doesn't need a plan, doesn't need a play run for him. You just put him on the floor. On any team, he's going to take the basketball, and he's going to do things with it. And they haven't had that kind of guy for such a long time. They, Joel has a specific style and role that he, that he plays. Maxi has a specific style and role that he plays. They've always been missing those guys in between that are just ballers, that are just basketball players that can dribble, pass, and shoot and get things done in in the margins. And I think one of the main reasons they were that hot is literally because of how well Kelly Oubre was fitting in in the the roster and and the situation. And as soon as he whatever happened, as soon as he got a fractured rib. I'm just going to leave it at that. This is a fractured rib. I don't know how it happened. But as soon as he got a fractured rib, everything went to, everything ended. All the the whole hype, all the Sixers started the season so hot, 8 and 1, 9 and 1, whatever it was. Then all of a sudden, we're in a hole and we make the hard trade, we get Batum, he has the personal issues, he looks good, then he misses 3 games, then he gets sick, then Joel gets sick, then we play 6 games in 9 days where, you know, the back-to-back a back-to-back that's not a traveling back-to-back, I still don't see like an excuse to look dog-tired because, again, you're being paid this much money to play a sport. You get rest, you get rehab, you make sure you're ready to go the next day. A traveling between time zones back-to-back shouldn't be a thing in the NBA. It's ridiculous to be on a jet lag and try to play a basketball game. So that, that Timberwolves game was was obvious to me what was going on. And they've just been you know, back and forth, up and down since then. But uh, I thought per, fully healthy and not a uh, time zone back to back, they were the they were the hottest team in the league for nine or ten games. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and a couple of the games that they've lost, you knew they were going to lose without Joel. I mean, like you said earlier, you don't have your best player, you're not going to win the game. Like those are what I would 
I, I wouldn't call it this like Doc Rivers, but close to a scheduled loss. Like you're resting <laughs> the MVP of the league, the guy who's leading the league in scoring, even the the uh, Pelicans game, right, where you're losing two starters, three starters, four starters. You're not going to win that game, and that's just how it goes. Uh, but I would agree. And it's not even the fact that the Sixers won eight in a row. It's the fact of how they played. I can't think of one game this year, even the ones where Joel was out, where they have not been competitive. They fight every single game. They don't go out there and go up by 15, and then here comes the end of the third quarter death lineup, and we're sweating, and we get down to the fourth quarter, and you know, B-Ball Paul, for example, has five blocks, and you take them out, and you know, you bring back in PJ Tucker, who's a walking zero, who, by the way, <laughs> hasn't played in the last four games. He's now out of the rotation in, in LA. Um, but you know, we don't have, we haven't gone through those things. Like the Sixers either win or lose, but they're competitive every single game. And I agree 110% about Kelly Oubre, which is why when people keep asking me about trades, I'm saying, yeah, here's some guys I like, but let's wait and see. You lose 16 points per game and you lose a guy that can defend at least three positions who's shooting 38% from three high energy guy. It's going to impact your team. By the way, he's also athletic and it, he's such a, he, he's just such a refreshment for Sixer fans as well mm -hmm. as Nicholas Batum. Why? Like if these guys were on other teams, they'd just be average guys, but the mm -hmm. Sixers haven't had these guys for a long, long time. And they fit perfectly around what Maxi and Embiid are trying to do. And I just think you let that play out. You let Kelly come back, be the sixth man, then you evaluate what you need. But right now, he's the best-kept secret, in my opinion, in the NBA. Once Kelly Oubre comes back tomorrow, I think this Sixers team is going to look a whole lot better. Yeah, and uh, just seeing him in a Sixers jersey, 6'7", the wingspan, the hair, I get some Dr. J vibes. You know oh, yeah. what I mean? He's really, yeah. He plays like Dr. J played, man. Just a big, tall wing that runs up and downs the floor and dunks the ball and creates shots. And, yeah. yeah and, and we told people that he would be more efficient in Philadelphia because everybody wants to only look at the numbers. Oh, he averaged 21 on 20 shot attempts. When you're playing for the Charlotte Hornets, there is no hope. The Hornets are not going to win anything. So you're going out there shot chucking, trying to earn a contract. That's what it mm -hmm. was. You come here, you only have to take eight shots a game as opposed to 20. And you're still not getting blown out. Guess what? You're going to look better. You're going to look better around the MVP of the league. That's why these guys want to play with the Jokic's, Giannis's, and Beads. They earn contracts. Yeah. And sadly, for NBA players like that, when you go to a team like the Washington Wizards or the Charlotte Hornets, it could, it can affect the rest of your career. Like he didn't know if he was going to sign a contract. And that's because he was on a team where he didn't have leaders on the team. He didn't have a specific role. He didn't get to play the, third or fourth option like he does here and yeah he was just forcing up shots trying to do things that's not the guy that he is and then teams and gms will look at yeah the overall sh shooting percentage and just say he's inefficient uh he doesn't make a team better or whatever and then he didn't even know if he was going to get uh picked up by an nba team this offseason which is crazy because he's 28 years old and look at what he's been doing i, I can't believe he was at uh, available as long as he was and he got picked up on a minimum by the way Sixers are getting this value on a minimum like you can't even draw it up better you can't draw it up they get rid of PJ's 10 million dollars for this year or next year they pick up two million dollar Kelly Oubre they pick up Nick uh, Nico Batum who everybody yeah. thinks is washed 
Joel's out here calling him the key to the team. I mean, you can't draw it up better with that trade scenario with the late season pickups. I remember we did a stream, I think maybe it was July or August. We're sitting here scratching our heads. What is going on? <laughs> they signed Mo Bamba. They're uh, not going to re-sign uh, B-Ball. They're, uh, they're out here signing Trez back to the team. What is going on? I think he made up for it in the last month or two. Yeah, I don't know what Daryl Morey was doing this offseason, man. Like, I really don't. I think he, uh, well, he was waiting for the Harden trade. But in between that, he, he didn't really seem like he had much of a plan to improve the team because he wanted to see what he could get for Harden. And he was really just dragging it out. The Mo Bamba thing, I guess we could talk about him a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I, I didn't understand. Resigning Montrez was crazy. I guess it saved Josh Harris 500 grand or something like that in the end because he was on a player option. But, yeah, this offseason was, was rough. And, and yeah, he made up for it in the Harden trade. I, it's such, it's such a fleece. It's unbelievable. I can't fathom somebody giving up multiple first round picks and players for a guy that looked the way that he looked at the end of the past two seasons. And you know, Clippers fans, just, just if there are such thing as Clippers fans, just wait for it. He's he's going to do the same thing in the playoffs. He's not, you know, he's just he's not that guy anymore. People need to stop hoping and praying that he's that guy. NBA players aren't great forever, uh, Mister Rudy. I was just going to say, I don't know if they're going to make the playoffs with how loaded the West is. I'm starting if to they think miss a play, if they miss the playoffs, I'm that would be unbelievable. That. I really so, do. Speaking of that, PJ Tucker's comment recently was there's not enough basketballs in the world for this team. <laughs> and uh, again, it's a, it's a, it's a lack of self-awareness type of thing. Bro, you scored zero points in nine games. <laughs> you are done. You can't play anymore. And you're out here talking about, you know, kind of saying, like, I'm not getting the ball or something like that. Like, no, you're just, you're done. You made an extra $33 million, though. Let me ask you this. When, when you think of the, of, of the Clippers bench, their depth pieces, right? They got rid of so many in the trade. I mm -hmm. can't even think of maybe more than two other than Terrence Mann and P.J. Tucker and maybe one more. And the funniest part about that is P.J. is now a DNP. He doesn't play anymore. Like, he had to be that bad where he is now all the way back in the rotation. I don't even know who's playing over him at this point. I stopped keeping up, but it's like, it's crazy, man. Crazy. But at least, at least Tyron Lue has the ability to say, this guy is not giving us anything. He's going to the bench or whatever. Right. Correct. Doc played this guy for an entire season. He had game. He had stretches like this for the Sixers where he put up goose eggs across the board, and we were like, how is P.J. Tucker still in the starting lineup? This doesn't make any sense. But Doc Correct. didn't care. Correct. And the Clippers gave up well-needed depth, right? Other than T-Man, who at one point wasn't playing that much, Norman Powell, and maybe another backup big who they just signed recently, who I think it was uh, Tice, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Who else did they have, right? Like, they don't have enough depth. Like Covington and Batum have actually played decent in their roles here in Philly, and and everybody has ended up being a, a quality piece here. So it's worked out really well. Well, one of the one of the things that I said right when the trade happened was that Kawhi and Paul George missed sixty games combined last season, and the Clippers were fifth in the West. And Marcus Morris Senior. and Robert Covington and Nick Batum were all three playing twenty plus minutes a game. So they were literally they, those three guys had the Clippers at number five in the West. And they trade all three of those guys to add James Harden to it. Just that's the crazy. That had to be just Steve Ballmer. There's no way somebody that has actual experience with with 
making trades did that. It just had to be ownership that said, we're getting hardened in here. We're getting the <laughs> fan base excited. We're going to, you know what I mean? Just that like really out of touch, lack of awareness. Just think just a guy that thinks he's playing 2K and just I'm going to get all the big names and all the fans are going to love it and we're going to make a lot of money. That had to be it. There's no way it was actually like strategic basketball Absolutely. Uh, thought process. I don't know about you, and I'm not just trying to sit here and poo-poo the Clippers, but when when he got traded and the next day you turn on the media outlets, they're saying the Clippers are going to be finals favorites now. Their odds are up to number one. I, I was flabbergasted. Like, are we serious here? We saw what every time that we've seen that the last five years, a team trying to put together that many you know, perennial all-star, uh, all-pro players and, and all-NBA players that need the ball in their hands. It doesn't work. It no. does not work. We saw last year what the new formula is, especially with the new CBA. It's exactly what the Denver Nuggets did. And in fact, I think it's what the Sixers are trying to do. Well, it's all a, it's all a machine. It's all a media machine. You know, ESPN basically works for the NBA. So you get short, you get hardened on the Clippers, then it's ESPN's job to talk about the Clippers in a light that gets fans excited for the, It's all just nonsense. It's all nonsense. That's why people come to YouTube. That's why they yeah. come to podcasts, because all that's nonsense. Mr. Rudy, duh. Dude is the face of Skechers. I can't support that. <laughs> hey, I listen. Give credit, man. He comes into every single live stream. <laughs> I appreciate his dedication. I just don't agree with him. He keeps it 100, too. He says what he thinks. And a lot of times I tell, a lot of times me and Rudy are like, bro, I'm like, what are you talking about? But, you know, he keeps it sports and I like it. Uh, I actually have an idea uh, that I proposed on one of my last streams. And that actually fits in perfect to our collab here. I have a theory that Mr. Rudy Pooh is Wesley Stone. <laughs> I mean, let's think no, about it. He would have defended Ben Simmons by now. He would have brought up Ben Simmons' name by now. But Wesley Stone hated Joel Embiid. He hated yeah. him with passion. And I really think, because when's the last time you've seen Wesley Stone in the YouTube <laughs> streets? Like, the man disappeared. I And we know what happened with Simmons. We know what happened with Harden. I really think... Mr. Rudy Pooh is Wesley Stone in disguise. <laughs> Mr. Rudy, are you Wesley Stone in disguise? Yes or no? Let us know in the chat. It's, it's, it's got to be. He's got to be. The fit, dude, you know, you can't support him because he signed with Skechers. Listen, man, I don't know how much money Skechers put up, but it's a business. Get your money. If, uh, if uh, I don't know, hey, dude, or like uh, if Uggs, if Uggs told me I'll make you a signature Ugg for $100 million, I'm rocking some Uggs. You know Absolutely. what I mean? Yeah, and, and his last shoe deal didn't go well because they weren't really marketing him that much. And, I mean, it was a business move. Like you said, the guy wants to, you know, help generations upon generations. Debunked. Um, Mr. Rudy is not Wesley Stone. He's been <laughs> arguing with Wesley Stone since day one. I don't know. It sounds like something Wesley Stone would say. <laughs> sounds like something Wesley would say, man. Um, <laughs> Wow. Um. But yeah, man, I, I I really um I can't believe how many people constantly come in. I guess it's just because of the playoffs last year. They the people that constantly come in and hate on Joel and hate on Joel. Uh -huh. Guy is leading the league in scoring again. Like we are witnessing a generational basketball player. I just have learned to tune it out. Um, it, it's in, I mean I'm not going to sit here and deny, you know, that he has flaws. Of course he does. He needs to stay healthy. He needs to produce in the playoffs, but. We're looking at maybe one of the greatest centers of this era. And, you know, it's it's crazy to me. Like, I guess he just has more haters as he gets bigger and does more things.
Yeah, everybody everybody has uh, sneak haters. Uh, you know what I mean? But now social media takes it to a different level. Back in the day, nobody knows this, but people hated Michael Jordan. You know what I mean? They called him a ball hog. They hated that he was manipulating the officials. They hated that the that the NBA was letting him get away with travels and push-offs. And they, they hated Michael Jordan. There was no social media. You know, the only people with a, a voice were, you know, newspaper writers and ESPN guys and things like that. It's basically like this now. Social media is like this now. It's like there was protests, right? And in a protest, there's one guy with a megaphone. Okay, that's the guy that's supposed to talk because everybody trusts that guy to talk. Now, everybody has a megaphone. Everybody in the protest, there's 10,000 megaphones and 9,998 9, 9, of them should not be speaking into the megaphone. That's yeah. how I see it. Everybody has a, a platform now. You know, and you the, 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 the Joel Embiid haters, you can tell that they, they wait around for it. You know, the Sixers start out hot. There's no there's no Joel haters. Then they have one bad game, and they're all over the place. Like, this guy's out of shape. We're never winning with him. He's, uh, my good God, man. This is one of the one of the. I mean, I get it. You want to get out of the second round, and I respect the people that say I'm not watching until we until playoffs, and we're we, you know I don't want to hear it until we get out of the second round. I'm like, that's cool. Sure, that's fine. Sure. Uh, but I still think you should enjoy watching him play because when it's all over. 10 years from now, 20 years from now, people are going to talk about Joel Embiid as a historic NBA talent. They're going to talk about him as a historic NBA talent. It's it's a center with the skill set has rarely been seen before. And so I just sometimes people just need to take a step back and just enjoy it as the star talent that you're watching, you know, like this whole uh, we need to win a championship right now or everybody sucks. I just, it's, yeah. it's, but it's, it's Philly, I guess. No, it's, it's very rare too nowadays that a guy stays and endures the type of stuff. I'll call it that he has had to with this organization. Like nowadays guys are ready to jump ship, you know, after a couple years of dealing with this, he's been here for the entire process and he's seen the ups and downs. So I don't know, man, at the end of the day, he needs to get out of the second round, but absolutely. You know, he is elevated to an MVP player. I don't think there's many people that thought, okay, he's going to be this type of player when he was drafted. And he keeps getting better. And now he actually has a real coach that wants him to get to that level. He's in good shape. And he's played almost every game this season. So I'm happy with what I've seen from Joel. Yeah, people people are underestimating, first of all, how, how much Nick Nurse was going to affect the team in general. Nobody was talking about how much Nick Nurse is going to take Joel Embiid to the next level. And not just by the system around him, more movement, more passing, more cutting, uh, just really basic basketball stuff. Like I said a million times, a high school coach down the street could have looked at the Sixers last year and said, why isn't anybody moving? You know what I mean? Pass and screen. Like they used to tell me that in open gym in middle school. My middle school coach knows more than, you know, Glenn. But uh, so not just the system, but the fact that I think he keeps it 100 with Joel to his face. And I and and the, some of the stories that Nick Nurse has told about the way that he talked to Kawhi and and uh, Lowry when they'd play a lackluster game, he kind of get on them and he kind of give it to him. And Joel's never had a coach that would that would give it to him. Joel's never had a coach that would look him in the face and say, "You are playing soft. You are not attacking the basket. You're you're shying away from contact. You need like I think Nurse is saying these types of things to him." Oh, that, that's going to take him to the next level. And in the playoffs, I think you're going to see a different level of physicality and engagement from Joel Embiid. 
hundred percent. And you're also going to see more, um, you know, a more dynamic offense. You're going to see more versatility. Other guys are going to be involved. It's not just going to be force feeding Joel, you know, when the Sixers are sweeping whatever team in the first round and just kind of burning him out. So, uh, yeah, I, I think Nick Nurse is ready to take that ride with Joel Embiid. I think the Sixers actually practice for once. You can see it with, with the way they, you know, knock down shots with the way they hit their spots on the floor. It, it's just a lot more polished than it has been. And bringing it back to the schedule and the first part of the season, and I want to get your thoughts. Like, I, I'm just I I think it's gone better than I expected. I thought it would look better with Nick Nurse, but. You can just see the fundamentals are there that haven't been there in the past. And I think that mm-hmm. is huge, huge, you know, promise going into the next part of this season, where if you look at the next seven games, I mean, they should probably win at least six of them, right? They can really get that flow going. That eight game win streak helped. And just the way they look as a team is very promising, especially before the trade deadline. Yeah, definitely one of the things that I enjoy about this team this season is when they have a lackluster first half, they come out the second half with a different level of intensity, especially on the defensive end. And it's, you know, it's because Nurse is in there at halftime. Like, you guys aren't hustling. You guys aren't playing hard. You guys aren't moving. You guys are, you're going to lose the game if you're not doing the little things like rotating on defense, uh, flying out to the three-point line and and crashing the boards. And Usually, if they have a lackluster first half, they come out with a different level of intensity in the second half, and that's new. That's new for me watching the Sixers because I'm used to them starting out flat, and we're like, oh, I know how this game is going to go, and then mm-hmm. it goes the same way the whole time. He keeps it honest as well. He keep, Listen to a press conference after a game. If we play like crap in a certain quarter, he says, yeah, we came out, and I didn't know what the heck we were doing, and I told him we need to wake up. Even if Tyrese Maxey goes out and has a stellar game, he says, yeah, I told him to his face. You need to be 25% more aggressive. These guys have a certain level of respect from Nick. And just by talking to him, I could see it. I could see why. He demands greatness. And I think he's the coach that can ultimately get this team over the top. Not to try to look back or anything, but if they had him in some of these past playoff series, I think we may be looking at a different outcome because I think he's not going to let it sink to the level that it did. No, I don't think so either. Like when when you look back at like the Ben Simmons years and and every time we got into a big playoff matchup, it became clear that he can't be a half court point guard. And then Brett Brown was like forced to use TJ McConnell or somebody that would have, or shake Milton. Like, yeah, that would have happened a lot sooner. Probably would have happened the first month or two of the season. It would have been like, ah, you're, you're not a point guard. You're not playing like a point guard. We can't do this. But yeah, it, 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 it drug out those years because you didn't have a guy that kept it a hundred like that. I don't think. No, yeah, absolutely. And looking forward, I mean, I think the team, again, the fan base is going to be reluctant to kind of buy in until we get to that playoff round again. But looking at this team right now, I mean, they've definitely been more promising than we expected. A couple games have gone here and there based on guys being out, et cetera. But like I said, you look forward. Here's the next part of the schedule. Washington, Atlanta, Washington, Detroit, Detroit, Charlotte, Chicago, Minnesota, Toronto. I mean, that is a stretch right there where you can really gravitate, take over the East, uh, and and be one of those top two teams. I would expect them to come out and dominate, honestly. They should. They should. There should be a lot of Joel Embiid 35 and 10 and didn't come back in in the fourth quarter type of games. There should be a lot of those. Huge. And I love the way he substitutes these guys. You know, we don't have to see the third quarter death lineup and let the other team build momentum getting back in the game. 
all these fourth quarters may have really helped, you know, in terms of Joel being able to sit out and, you know, maybe it doesn't help the stats, but I mean, it's good for him long-term. Shout out to Daniel Wren for being a member of fire take nation for 10 months. Uh, Dietrich Morgan, the Sixers should trade Tobias and those draft assets for Brogdon and Grant. I was just going to say, should we talk about Tobias Harris? Because when you, I, when you were, go ahead. I, I think we should talk about him, but also in a trade sense as well. Because obviously, if people say, you know, trade this, trade that, like tying back into that, is he the one that has to go? Is it go acquire a couple more role players? Is it, this or is it that or a backup whatever i'll let you have the floor because I, I i feel like you need to get it off your chest a little bit <laughs> and i know well, that i was gonna say when, when you were when you were talking about nick nurse and and some of his comments like post game or how he'll get on tyrese maxi a little bit and be like he needs to be more aggressive the things that he said about tobias after that just abysmal performance against the boston celtics i mean like you know the, the people do this tobias harris thing where they're like he's he's solid he's a no no no, like that, that's the opposite in that game. He was a giant negative. He didn't help you at all. He hurt you a lot. Uh, and 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 uh, Nick Nurse post game said like, he needs to stop going east to west and he needs to keep attacking. And I'm like, I was watching him try to attack. He just was getting his ass kicked. He got blocked at the rim, got the ball back and went up on the entire team and got blocked again. And I don't know what Tobias Harris really is as a basketball player, as an, as an NBA player. If Tobias didn't get that max contract, would he even be a starter in the NBA? I think he would. I think he'd be a starter, but maybe on like a mid-tier team, maybe like a lower mid-tier team. Um, he's just inconsistent, man. It's frustrating. He's really just a, who could we compare him to? I can't even compare him to anybody because when I think of a random role player, like I was going to say J.D. McDaniels. And when I think of like, that's probably a bad comparison, but when I think of just a random like role player, even those guys at least have some athleticism, can finish and transition. I just don't understand really what Tobias Harris does well. I, I want to be a little fair to Tobias here. And trust me, I'm... I'm frustrated because I did buy into the early season vision of Tobias. I thought he was unlocked with Nick Nurse. So did I. I thought it would be a perfect fit. We're kind of now seeing like it's similar to prior seasons. But to be fair to Tobias, I know the chat's going to hate me. I don't think the Sixers, like if there was a list of teams that Tobias Harris should never play on, it is the Sixers. And here's <laughs> why. Because he plays the four, and Joel Embiid needs an athletic four next to him. You look at a guy like Ubre, right, or somebody else, like even a B-ball Paul. Why, why were we proposing that B-ball Paul should play? Because Joel needs that athletic finisher, rebounder, a guy who can snipe threes. My number one issue right now with Tobias isn't similar to prior years where he's, you know, holding on to the ball too long or this or that. You know what it is? I think he's shooting 32% from three. That is yeah. unacceptable, man. In prior years, he's been 38, 39, even 40. You can't shoot that low of a clip from deep and expect to be a starter, especially when you don't rebound the ball. My my thing in the Celtics game, he had five rebounds. Come on, man. Come on. Even when Joel was out, like you have to step up and be that guy. 
When have we said, yeah, we handed the rock to Tobias and he went out and won us a game? That's my frustrating thing. But if you put him on the Hornets or the Pistons, right, he's going to be great. It's it just he should not play on the Sixers in the role that he's in. And that's my fairest way of saying that Tobias just is not playing well. So you think he's better without a guy like Joel Embiid? See, I think Joel Embiid is helps him out because he, he you know, obviously without Joel, then it's like, okay, who's going to step up? And it's not him. With Joel on the floor, he can, he can just kind of hide and and you know t- take the ball here and there and do his thing and try to fit in. And that's really what he is. Again, it's not his fault. He got offered 180 million dollars. Nobody's going to say no to that. But then there's expectations that came with that with that money, and sure. he's not. He's not a hundred eighty million dollar player. He hasn't been. He's never gonna be. People think he. Th- people also think he's gonna change too. They're like, he just needs to do this more consistently. He's third. He's been playing the same way his whole career. It's not gonna change. This is who he is. He's not a hundred eighty million dollar player. Uh, I, I just. Uh, but if you put him on the Pistons or the Hornets, I think it'd be a lot worse because you see what he looked like in the Doc Rivers offense with not a whole lot of like strategy or planning, and it was more ISO. Uh, and you see what he looks like with Joel off the floor, and when he gets the ball in his hands, and it's like, okay, Tobias, go create something. He, he's not a shot creator, again. So he's not <laughs> he's not a good three point shooter. He's not a good rebounder. He's not a good shot creator. He's not a good defender. He overhelps on defense. He doesn't retreat right. He he just I just what does he do good? You said you're, you said you're gonna you said you're gonna be fair to Tobias, and then you said all the things that I said. He's not good at anything. My fairest way of being <laughs> fair was I just don't think this team is good for him. Now, when I say he's going to be better on like the Hornets, what I mean is like, yeah, he's going to put up more points. He's going to have more opportunity. He's going to have the ball in the open space of the floor more. But here, like we need him to do one thing. We need you to dribble drive into the post, turn, put it up right away, get your bread and butter going, get your easy buckets, but he just can't do it against better defenders. So I feel like a lot of that pressure would be off that resides here in Philly next to Joel Embiid. Like when the playoff series come and the big moments come, you just can't hand him the rock. You know, you can't say, go do that. And I don't even know what I'm trying to say anymore. I just think that I just think it's not the right fit for Tobias Harris. I think we need like, I'm trying to think of the best prototype, like just a lengthy three and D power forward that can grab 10 rebounds a game. That's yeah. what they need next to Embiid. Right. And right. they just don't have it. I was saying at the end of that Boston game that I that I felt bad for him. And what I meant by this was that, again, signing that contract came with expectations. And he's not good enough. He's just not good enough of an NBA player to be paid that money. So then he has these expectations on him. And he tries to do things that he can't consistently do because he's just not that good. So he's at the end, he's in the fourth quarter crunch time of this Boston game, and he's getting blocked at the rim, and he's throwing the ball out of bounds, and he's shanking the ball up the side of the rim, and he's getting called for traveling, which, by the way, he has to lead the league in traveling over the past five years. There's no nobody that's been called for traveling more than Tobias Harris. I just I don't feel bad for him because you signed the contract. The expectations come with that, and now you have this pressure on you, but it looks like, at the end of that game when he got called for that travel and walked to the bench, it looked like it really affected him kind of emotionally how just mad at himself he was or whatever. And I was like, damn, I kind of feel bad right now. But you're making $180 million. I don't feel bad. I feel bad because he's <laughs> the perfect teammate 
he's the perfect locker room guy. He's a good dude. He says the right things. But when push comes to shove, he doesn't get it done. And you know why he got that contract? Because he does do it, but in only in spurts. He does it in stretches. At the end of his L.A. tenure, he was balling. That's why the Sixers went out and traded a, you know, a pick and sham it and got him because he does it in spurts. The beginning of the season, he looks like he's going to be 21 point per game Tobias, And, you know, he's clicking on all cylinders, but then it just falls off. And I don't know, man, it's, it's frustrating. Somebody in the chat said if the Sixers had four Batums, they'd be well off. And I agree. And yeah. that, I think that's the point I'm trying to make is like, Around Joel and Tyrese, they just need catch-and-shoot defenders. They need guys who can snipe from anywhere, who are not going to take the ball in their hands and take touches away from the other two. Kind of like the, the Nuggets, if you think about it, which, again, mm -hmm. was why I said earlier, they're building the prototype, right? Get the KCPs of the world. You know, get the Browns. Get, get those kinds of guys and, you know, let Murray and Jokic do their thing and have an aggressive rebounder like Aaron Gordon. And then you got the snipers, man. And and that's how I see it. So that's why I just don't think the fit is there for Tobias. And we've seen it right. for way too long. Yeah, and the, the tweet that I shared on Instagram of, from Ben Dietrich where he said basically there's no reason for Tobias Harris to be playing this many minutes when Robert Covington and, and Nicholas Batum give you more. And people were, you know, some of the replies were like, you really going to say those guys are better than Tobias? And I'm like, one-on-one -on -one basketball, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about fit. We're talking about what needs to be around Joel Embiid. And it's defense and three-point shooting. That's it. So, yeah, literally, Robert Covington right now is a better fit next to Joel than Tobias Harris. Nicholas Batum, obviously. Uh, yeah, I just, but, you know, it's... Do you agree that if Tobias was a better rebounder and defender, there would not be nearly as much slack about him? Like, if he of could course. do those things. Of course. The the problem is it's it's a it's an effort thing. It's a but it's like it's a DNA thing. It's a dog it's mentality. Yeah, it's a dog mentality thing. He just doesn't have that. He yeah. you, he when he tells himself to, you can tell when he reminds himself when he has that game where he's like, all right, I'm gonna go out there and play hard and go crash the glass. And he has 12 rebounds and he's being physical. And you're like, wow, look at Tobias Harris. What the hell happened? But then he reverts back to how he's comfortable playing, which is finesse trying to Euro step around guys high off the glass. Uh, he just doesn't have the dog mentality that everybody wants him to have. And it's just who he is. It's not an insult to say that. He just doesn't have it. Yeah. He doesn't have it. it reminds me of last game against the Celtics where late in the game, I mean, he had a breakaway layup. They, I think it was Melton who dished it down the floor to him. Mm -hmm. Instead of just throwing down a vicious slam, he waits for one defender to go by. Then he tries to do a reverse layup. No, man, throw the ball down, like draw some contact, throw it down, get vicious. You know what I mean? And like you said, we see that once in a while, but you just revert back to who you are DNA wise. And I, I think if Tobias didn't hurt the team, the Sixers win that game as crazy as it was. If they, if he didn't hurt the team late in the game, if he didn't turn it over a walk, I think they win the game. They Dude, should have been going through Pat Bev because damn, he was on fire, man. Yeah, maybe maybe they would have won the game. Um, the Sixers have that's the one thing over the course of this era is that some of those guys that like, you know, you get we have a couple dog mentality guys now like a Pat Bev, but guys that can actually guys that have size and athleticism and have that dog mentality, like the kind of guy. Where's the young athletic player that sees a guy in front of the rim and says, "I'm putting this ball in the rim 
through that guy's body and he's not stopping me. Where's the, you know what I mean? Those players that love contact, they love the physicality. And you know that if, you know, you were in a scrap on the street and they were on your side, you'd be in good hands. Like Ben Simmons, 6'11", show me a poster dunk. Show me one in six years. Like he just didn't have that attack mode. Yeah. And Tobias doesn't have it either. And uh, I thought we got one in KJ Martin. <laughs> he doesn't, suddenly he can't dunk either. Yeah, he's not playing at all. Um, I'm surprised that Springer's not playing either. I mean, I thought we'd see more of him at this point. There's a couple guys that I'm a little confused on, but again, Springer I, still has an illness. Springer was dealing with this with the illness, right? He was, but he is back. And even before the illness, he wasn't really getting consistent minutes. And I don't know. It, it's an interesting thing. It really is. Um, looking at the Sixers team, what do you think they need to do? What, what's their number one area? Like, obviously, we want to wait and see with Kelly Ure back, but like, all right, this is what we need to do. Honestly, um, for me, I think it's just with the addition of Batum, Covington, Ubre coming back, I think you finally have three and D wing role players that can fill in the blanks that can fit in that you can stagger in different lineups that they've missed forever. The only major weakness I think I see right now is pro is the backup point guard position. I would love to think that. Patrick Beverly can play all the time like he played against the Boston Celtics. Was that Patrick Beverly's best game of his entire career? It was. And, you know, obviously I don't want to take anything away from him. That was probably the best game he'll ever play. But, damn it, that's why I love Pat Bev, man. That's why we've been calling right. for him for three years. Like, right. he's not – he shouldn't even be in the league. He was right. overseas for four years. He has got it literally, no pun intended, out the mud. Like, he just keeps finding ways, you know, when he's on the scores table in Minnesota or, you know, when he's all up in somebody's grill. He doesn't have the talent to really be a sustained NBA player, but he's got this, man. He actually mm -hmm. is a dog. And just the way he's hitting step backs out there in Boston, like, the guy is fantastic, man. Big fan of Pat Bev. Yeah, Pat Bev, not just, not just in his career, uh, but mentality-wise, like, uh, it's he's proof that like when you believe in yourself more than anybody in the world believes in you, good things happen and that you could take that Celtics game specifically or just his entire career. He was probably counted out his whole career. Like Jimmy Butler being a late draft pick, a late second round draft pick or whatever. And then becoming what he became, uh, just, you can just tell he's like, uh, I can do this. And everyone's like, yeah, you're, you're kind of just Pat Bev. And then he comes out and does that. And you're like, damn dude, what the hell? And it's like, yeah. it's it, that mentality is what gets a guy undersized, not athletic, consistently on NBA teams and making an entire career out of it. And he's just, yeah. dude, his personality is just amazing. You listen to his podcast and he just has so much fun with the NBA and the trash talk. And you see what he said where he's he's coming for Austin Reeves next time because he gave him the too little man. Pat Bev's a gem. He's so refreshing, especially in the in the current day NBA with how these players are uh, you know, with their mentalities, like Pat Bev is old school, man. He's coming out there to bust your chops every night. Doesn't matter who it is. Um, I love him, man. But I would agree. I think the uh, the backup point is something that will need to be addressed. I honestly, again, things can change in a couple months. For once, the Sixers actually have a little bit of leverage. They can kind of monitor and see what happens. At the point we're going at, I don't know if another big-time star player, like another big name, is even necessary. I keep going back to this formula that you have 
the upcoming, you know, young, I would say star point guard in the works. You have the MVP center and you get the Ubre's and the, and the Batums of the world and you add as much depth as possible and you make this team scrappy. I think they can compete. I really do. Um, maybe you go out and get a, a Caruso or a Brogdon or a guy like that to really solidify that bench scoring. I don't know if we need to go out and pay another 40, 35 million for another, you know, another guy that may end up like Tobias, right? Not getting a lot of touches and fades in and out. And then you can't, then you're restricted going into the summer, et cetera. So that's where I'm at. Yeah. Caruso is a defender who has a little bit of like half court facilitating ability, right? But does he really give you any, does he really give you much offensively? I think he averaged like nine, nine points a game for his career. You know, he can shoot. He can shoot, and I wouldn't say he's the best facilitator by any means, but he just he's a high IQ player. Like he knows how to fit into a system. And right. I think with Nick Nurse, in my opinion, he would flourish defensively. I mean, he's a, a point of attack, ball defender. He's right up in your grill. And so far, I mean, he's actually been one of the best players on Chicago. We called that months ago. We said they were going to implode. They have imploded. And Alex Caruso, they're, they're saying, might have the most trade value on the team. That's how good he's been. I'm actually going to look up his actual stats, but I think he'd be really good on his team. Yeah, he would be. So it'd be nice to have that. First of all, that defender where when a guy's, you know, cooking you, you can just, hey, you know, we got Caruso. Go, you know, a guy that can guard Kevin Durant, literally Kevin Durant in, you know, late fourth quarter situations and uh, make him struggle. Um, and then he has uh, the kind of Jaden Springer with a hot with a, with experience and a and a you know uh, higher. I don't want to say higher IQ because Jaden Springer is just so young, but yeah, you know, I, dog I the dog defender that knows what he's doing. Absolutely, and I think if you get Caruso, you're not done there. You need to get another scorer for the bench. One guy that I've been saying I know you remember for years, uh, Jordan Clarkson. I mean, he you know just like that microwave score off the bench. But you look at Caruso's numbers, he's averaging almost 10 points per game. He's averaging two assists, 3.3 rebounds, uh, one and a half steals per game, and he's shooting 48% from three. I mean, I didn't he, know he was shooting 48. 48. Yeah, he can shoot, man. This is the best year of his career so far. About 3.6 attempts per game. Uh, he's a dog, man, and he can defend. He can defend his ass off. So I'm big on Caruso right now. I just don't know what it's going to take to get him. You know, the more you wait, <laughs> the more that value goes up. Yeah, and Chicago is definitely going to try to sell high. That's definitely, you know, they're going to definitely try to sell high on Caruso, and it's going to be an overpay for whoever whoever trades for him. It's going to be an overpay. You know, it's going to be a Drew Holiday-esque overpay. Yeah. Uh, twice, by the way. And Drew Holiday won a championship in, in Milwaukee, but it was an overpay. And the Boston trade, it was an overpay. Yeah, it Caruso's was going to it's going to be an overpay for Caruso. And I don't think Daryl's going to give up two first round picks for him. Yeah, I would agree. Sexton and Laurie covers Tobias's salary. Sounds nice to me. But again, Larry marketing is going to warrant a lot of return. I think I think Utah will be a fire sale. I would love Jordan Clarkson. I would love Colin Sexton. I would love Larry marketing. But what is it going to take to get him like we just talked about? I mean, Lowry, he would be a perfect fit next to Joel Embiid. Oh that's my God, actually yeah. the play. That, that's, that's the kind of player I'm talking about. Lengthy, good shooter, rebounds, defense. Mm -hmm. There you go. Athletic I mean, as hell. Yeah. And was underrated 
in the beginning of his career because of common denominator here, Chicago Bulls. <laughs> Chicago's down bad, man. Gets out of Chicago, dude. and it's like, oh, look, Laurie Morgan is as good as everyone thought he was going to be. He just had to get out of Chicago. Dude, I just, it's crazy, man. I was so confused. That was the one team that I said was going to like really line the balance and affect everybody. And they re-signed Vucevic. The Rosen's on a contract year. Levine's got four years left. Lonzo Ball may never play again. Chicago is down bad. They need to sell everything immediately. Yeah, they do. They, well, they should have done it this past offseason. They tried one more time. Everyone kind of predicted what was going to happen. There's There was nothing yeah. that showed you it was going to be any better. Right. Uh, if we trade Tobias, we lose our max spot in the offseason. We can sign two high-level role players like OG or a star like Paul George without spending draft assets. Uh, if you trade Tobias for multiple players that match the salary, you're not losing a max spot in the offseason. If you trade him for, if you trade him for uh, players who there's players that are expiring also, and you know there's a lot of ways. If you trade him for Zach Levine, yeah, you lose your max that max slot, especially you know for the next. I think there's five years left on his extension. Four. Yeah, four years left. Um, and in Which, addition to that, you're going to pay Tyrese Maxey. Don't forget about that. So. I mean, a lot of cap allocated to the top two guys. And then if you bring in another heavy asset in there like that, it's going to be tough. Yeah, I, I was I was kind of on the Levine thing for a while. I've kind of gotten off of it because, I'm, yeah, it makes me nervous about being locked in for four years because yeah, you have to know for a fact that that's the guy that's going to get you to the next level because how long, how much longer does Joel have in his in his, in his prime, you know? And if, if you if you do the Zach Levine thing, you're signing up for okay. This is the guy for Joel. The rest of Joel beats prime. That's going to be the two or three option next to Tyrese Maxey, and that makes me nervous to be locked yeah. into that. And and I'm big on Levine in terms of a player, but like I said earlier, you look at these other teams that have these like three star situations. They just don't pan out. For example, Phoenix right now, right? They're decent. Bradley Beal has been injured the whole season. And we haven't even started really the the tough part of the season yet. And they have minimum players playing around Katie and Beal and Booker. You get to the playoffs, I don't think that's going to work. I don't think the Suns are going to make it past the second round. Not because of their star talent, but because they have nobody else around that I think will hold up in the crunch time. By the way, I think OG Ananobi is going to get paid a lot more than some people think. He's going to, they're talking about potentially paying him like 30 to 40 a year. And I just I don't, mean, that's a risk. That's a risk for OG? No, that's a risk for a team trading for him. Like if Daryl Morey trades assets to get OG and an OB, say a couple first rounders, et cetera, is he going to want to pay him that money going forward? Is OG oh, and an OB a $40 million player or a $35 million player? At this point of the NBA? Yeah. The way the way NBA money is getting tossed around, but talent wise, uh big time, big strong defender who can who can score on three levels. I think he is. If we look at Fred Van Vliet getting forty million in Houston, but but should Fred what? Van Vliet get forty million? That's... No, but what is for what is forty million at this point? That's what I'm saying. Should Jalen Brown be the highest paid player in no. NBA history? I think I think we're seeing eye to eye on like. These guys shouldn't be getting that much. And I agree, like, based on the market, yeah, he is. But talent-wise, that is going to really strap your team. 
I just don't. I don't know. That's why so you're I'm not into you're not into signing OG Ananobi this offseason. I am, but just not for thirty eight million dollars per year. Um, you know, unless you have say Maxi Ananobi and B tied down, and you can still get like the minimum Kelly Oubre's of the world to fill out your team. But I don't I don't know if Ananobi's worth thirty eight million per year or thirty five or whatever it's going to end up being. I would say he's going to get traded for something, but you know, what's his name? He's going to hold on to him too long because that's what he does. Yeah, he will. I, I just, I think nowadays you have to find the right role players. Like if you look at Denver last year, again, like KCP wasn't paid that much. I don't think Aaron Gordon was on too heavy of a contract. I'm not exactly sure off the top of my head. I think he's got a couple years left, but like they just found the right pieces around their top two. Davon, thanks for the support, man. Tobias defends Tatum well. Lowest point per game is versus Tobias. He didn't defend him well in game six. He didn't defend him well last, last game against Boston either, just a couple nights ago. I don't think Tobias' defense one-on-one is really his issue. It's his – if you there's just a specific play in the third or fourth quarter. I don't know what part of the game it was, but Drew Holiday drives the lane. Tobias Harris slides over to double – Drew Holiday and leaves Jason Tatum wide open for three. That's just common sense. And Jason Tatum doesn't miss a wide open three. You're giving up three points to slide over and try to double team Drew Holiday. Uh, That's the type of stuff Tobias Harris does defensively. It drives me nuts. Tobias Harris has a lot of defenders to my knowledge. Um, I'm not saying the super chat was a defender, but I've found out that he has really a lot of supporters and I'm not saying he's a bad player, but he's just not what the team needs to get them over the top. Like you put him last year into that fourth option. He like, he can't be a spot up shooter, but he can't be the second guys we saw during the whole Ben Simmons thing. And he can't really be the third guy because he doesn't step up when you need it. So where does he fit? Where does he fit? I <laughs> I have not been able to stand watching him play basketball for the past four years. <laughs> I just, I just, well, give me the guys that can shoot, run, and dunk. Where are the guys that can shoot, run, and dunk? What is Tobias Harris? He's a little like <laughs> stutter step, jab step, cold for a travel, high off the glass. You're six foot eight trying to go high off the glass. I I, I'm over it. I'm so over it. I'm so glad this is the last year. I please don't resign him. My disdain for the style that Tobias Harris plays is on another level. You think probably a, a great guy, true? probably a great guy. Again, people think if you talk about what you think of someone as a basketball player, you're talking about them as a person. Probably a great guy. Have never been able to stand watch and play basketball. That's do just you me. Think, do you think that there's a chance he would get traded at the deadline? Hundred percent. He's a hundred percent getting traded at deadline. Hundred percent. Put it on the news, man. Put it through the 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 outlets, man. Tobias Harris is one hundred percent getting traded at the deadline, guaranteed. And it's because the expiring is that valuable to teams that want to clear cap space. That's the only reason. Teams that are going nowhere and want to clear, like for instance, it's not going to happen because Daryl wouldn't do it, but. If the Bulls could get off of Zach Levine's contract by taking on Tobias and then getting rid, you clear forty million instead of being locked into four years. That's what's so valuable about an expiring contract. Somebody's going to do it. 
it's going to be a bad team. But will the Sixers do it? What? Let's say they go on a run here in this next month with the easiest schedule I've ever seen. And let's say they're like, I don't know, 29 and 12. 29 and 12 near the deadline. You think they make a trade? I don't think they do. I don't think they would mess up that structure. If there was always been a guy, he's always been a guy that continues to make trades. Yeah. But I like when it comes to these big salaries, does he move off them in season unless there's toxic drama? Maybe not. I just think it like if the season started going downhill or the Sixers are like 500, yeah, absolutely. I think he gets moved, but they keep winning. I don't know. I don't know. They can keep winning with him still being a negative. That's the thing about it. He's and, not the reason they're winning. No, I I agree, and that's the the flaw right there. That's, so that's you can get two role. You can get if you can get two role players and get rid of that expiring contract. I would do it. I don't know if Daryl Morey does it. I want to get your opinion on Mo Bamba <laughs> because uh, the first the preseason he was terrible. First couple, anytime he gets a little bit, a couple minutes here and there, uh, hasn't looked good. And then against Boston, he hits a couple threes from the top of the key and gets a little confidence. And, you know, in 19 minutes, scores 11 points, four for seven, two for four from three, uh, six rebounds, five offensive. Uh, do you think Mo Bamba has backup center value? Because uh, some of the comments that interest me are when people say, if Nick Nurse was so great, he could get more out of Mo Bamba. And then I saw what he did in, at the end of the Boston Celtics game, and I'm like, wait a minute. Maybe Nick Nurse is going to get something out of Mo Bamba. Somebody in the chat summed it up best for me. They said, Mo Bamba is a fire song. That's where I'm at. <laughs> um, look, shout out to Mo. I'm happy for the guy. Again, I'm always going to try to like see a little bit of optimism. Like He got minutes. He made the most of them. I'm happy for him because it must be frustrating signing a free agent deal with a team that you think might actually play you and you don't play for the first 10 games of the year. But I don't think he has anything to offer. I don't think there's a fit. I, I mean, maybe I'm a little biased here, but my guy B-Ball Paul, like the, the guy produces. And there, there's people out there that say, oh, well, you know, Paul still can't do enough offensively and this and that. Okay, fine. Like maybe you don't want him to be the backup center, but this team has enough big men with Joel and B-Ball Paul, and then they bring in some of these other guys. Like, I just don't see a need for Mo Bamba. I just don't see it. Well, that's what that's one of the things, too, is that, you know, uh, the fans say things like, we need a guy for when Joel Embiid is out or for when Joel Embiid is injured. And I'm like, if Joel Embiid is injured, you're not winning. <laughs> Everybody needs to get that through. Nobody's winning. With Mo Bamba, nobody's winning with a backup center. Nobody's winning a playoff series. The Sixers are not winning a playoff series if Joel Embiid is injured. There's no right. backup center. Andre Drummond, some people are telling me Dwight Howard, who's in China or somewhere. You're not winning if Joel Embiid's injured. That's just the end of it. If When Joel Embiid's healthy and he plays, the Sixers are this good, and that's how good they are, and he has to be healthy and playing. That's just all there is to it, in my opinion. But correct the, Mo, uh, the, uh, the Paul Reed thing, we still haven't seen him and Joel on the floor together. I didn't watch the whole podcast you had with Nick Nurse and, and, and uh, Paul. Did that come up at all? I did ask him. I did ask did him. You? And 
yeah, and I kind of followed up on the question that he was asked in the preseason, and he said, yeah, like, we'll, we'll see it at some point. Like, I asked him, like, are we just kind of, like, keeping this in, in the bag of tricks for a better opponent? And what he, I guess, alluded to is it's matchup-based, which I do like, like, against a better team, or maybe he doesn't want to reveal that because, again, he, he said that, you know, we haven't even revealed the full offense yet. So maybe we're saving that. But I would definitely like to see it at some point. What do you think it was when he started Marcus Morris against the Pelicans? What do you think it was? Was it his fear that Paul Reed's going to foul out in five minutes? It had to be. <laughs> I mean, it had to be. Like, but you're Paul. also you're also forfeiting the game if you start Marcus Morris at center against Zion Williamson, one of the most powerful paint presences anybody's seen in the NBA in the last maybe I don't know 10, 20 years. You're you're forfeiting the game. I agree. And I also think there was nowhere to go. It's like when you're stuck on a one way, can't do anything. Like people were so mad at Nick Nurse that game. They were coming in the live stream chat. Nick Nurse has been exposed. This is who he is. <laughs> the guy is down. Kelly Oubre. He's down Joel Embiid. Tyrese Maxey's sick. He's down Jaden Springer. He's down Daniel House. Uh-huh. What do you expect them to do? What do you expect them to do? And Matter of fact, the, the both times that Morris has started, he goes on this like phenomenal stretch for five minutes where he just can't miss a bucket. It's weird, but like there's just nothing he could do. I agree. Paul Reed should have started those games. Would it really have made a difference? Right, because if, if Paul Reed picks up 3,000 the first six minutes, then Morris is in there anyway. Right. Then you have the starters playing 30 minutes, and for what? <laughs> I don't know. It just wasn't yeah. much to do. In I do opinion, like I do like what Morris is given offensively in certain lineups and situations where, where you need a buck. He still has that that little. He still has that shot creator tendency. He still has that pull up jump shot game, and it's very nice for the Sixers in those bench lineups when he has other guys on the floor that can kind of hide the fact that he just defensively, you know, doesn't move his feet very well anymore. And anytime you see. Anytime he gets switched onto a guard, it's it's over. It's an automatic bucket. Uh, but there's 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 spots that that Marcus Morris can be helpful. Definitely, I think there are spots. I've actually been really surprised with Covington as well. I'm not a big Covington guy at all, but man, he has played well defensively. I mean, he's getting four or five steals off the bench every game. He's active hands. Yeah, I don't know. It's been a it's been a nice refreshment on the bench defensively to have Covington in there. In my opinion. I love Robert Covington. I'm like uh, a born again. What's it called when you like join a religion and you're like, whatever. I hated Robert Covington. I could not. I thought he was the, when he was in Philly the first time, I thought he was the worst basketball player I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, I was not because a big fan. Part of it was because he was trying to play a role that wasn't, you know, he's not, he's not a leader. He's not a guy that's, <laughs> and he's out here trying to put up 20 shots a game or whatever for the tanking Sixers and, but even on like fast breaks, I saw this guy miss wide open layups with nobody around him. And he comes back here from the Clippers a couple of years later and he's dunking the ball. I never saw, I didn't see him dunk the ball once in his first six years he was with the Sixers when, during the process era. I didn't see him dunk the ball. He learned how to dunk the ball in LA for some reason. His defense has been smothering. He, 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 he got Jason Tatum ejected from the game. Jason Tatum was so frustrated. Because every time he tried to do anything with the ball, Robert Covington got a fingertip on it, and he couldn't stand it. I love Robert Covington right now. 
And I think that's another example, not the same as Tobias, but when you have him in the spotlight, when he's trying to be your starting three and he can't really put the ball on the floor, it just is not the right fit. He can't do it, you know, but you put him in these spot situations and he's out here plucking away four steals a game. Like I, I love, I love what I've seen from Covington. I think the Sixers have won the trade by many miles. Every guy they got, even the picks are all positives right now. Every asset in that trade will, will turn out to be beneficial. Davon, um, Chris Bosch is, that's a, that's a big, that's a big leap to throw out there in a Mo Bamba conversation. Chris Bosch in Toronto before he went to the Miami Heat was dominating the paint in the NBA. He was absolutely dominating the paint in the NBA. <laughs> I don't, we got to think of somebody else besides Chris Bosch to throw out there with Mo Bamba. I, 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 that's, I can't go there. I, I don't, I don't know, I'm not saying that you're comparing them either. You're saying play him like they played Chris Bosch. Chris Bosch was an animal. I don't understand. Like it, it's the same thing we saw when they signed Bamba. And I remember we were live streaming and uh, people told us that Mo Bamba is going to end up playing the three and he's going to play the four. Like, no, he's not just because he had one 30 point first half against the Sixers last year. Doesn't mean that he's a three point shooter who doesn't have a 30 point half against the Sixers. Right. <laughs> right. And it's like, he's not, he's not that guy. Unfortunately, he was very hyped coming out of college and had one of the biggest wingspans and he was great. It was a lottery pick. He just not it. He's not it, unfortunately. And he doesn't have like a center of gravity. He gets moved really easily. He doesn't have he's big and tall, but he just gets moved so easily. He can't defend the rim. It's crazy, actually, to be that size and not be able to defend the rim, but he can't defend the rim. Absolutely. And even in like the preseason, he was missing dunks. I mean, he's missed a couple this year in the regular season. He's missing layups. I think he's played better, but can't expect it to to keep up. I wouldn't expect it to keep up. Before we get out of here, my new thing lately is pissing off Celtics fans. <laughs> I'm having a I'm having an absolute blast with it. The Instagram clips, the TikToks, the segments of my videos. They come in and watch my entire video to wait for me to talk about the Boston Celtics so that they can type their little heart out in the comments, paragraphs on paragraphs on paragraphs. It is insane. And I don't read any of them. <laughs> <laughs> I see, I see three paragraphs and I'm sometimes I'll comment back, not reading that. Thanks for the comment. I'll go gang. I'm out. But are you high on the Boston Celtics as a content, a, a championship contender do you think, because it's like, you know, we never, everybody always does this. We ne we can't beat the Boston Celtics. We still can't beat the Boston Celtics. We're never going to beat the Boston Celtics. This is not the Danny Ainge Boston Celtics. I'm being serious when I say this. I think the Jalen Brown overpay is crazy. I just watched him in the third quarter against the Pacers when Jason Tatum was out of the game. Jalen Brown was the guy that was supposed to lead that bench lineup. And the Pacers went on a 24 to 5 run. He couldn't do anything. And he was deferring to the better player, Derek White. I just think there's a lot of problems in the Boston Celtics roster. They traded away their, their dogs, the Marcus Smart, Grant Williams, Robert Williams. I mean, those guys were all had a hand in, in bullying and dominating Joel Embiid in the playoffs. 
I know we haven't beat the Boston Celtics in the playoffs, but this is a different Sixers team, and this is a different Boston Celtics team. And I have, I just, I'm not convinced on the Celtics this season. I'm just not. And I think the Sixers can take them out this time. I really believe that. I agree. Um, you said this was not the same Boston Celtics team I was going to follow up with. Well, this isn't the, the Doc Rivers Sixers. And Nick Nurse, after winning the championship, took them to seven games. Go look at the team that he was utilizing in that series. Uh, Nick Nurse can absolutely take this Sixers team up against the Celtics. Sixers should have won that series last year. That will haunt me for a long time until we get back to the playoffs. Tatum was as cold as ice in that series until game six. And you look at the Celtics, I agree. Like, they have Porzingis. There's an injury issue there. And again, I'm not saying that the Celtics are not contenders. I think they can still be one of the best teams in the East. But they do have structural issues that must be addressed. You know, Marcus Smart, like you mentioned. Um, you know, Rob Williams, Grant Williams. Can Horford hold up late in the season? And the fact of the matter is, Tatum and Brown have never got it done. Jay, that Jalen Brown contract is insane, and I like Jalen Brown, but he's the highest-paid player in NBA history, and, and you, you could argue he doesn't have a left hand. It's he doesn't crazy. have a right hand. Right? Yeah, he doesn't really dribble, and it, it's crazy. It is crazy, and I think that the Boston Celtics are beatable. I think Milwaukee is beatable. I think the Sixers are beatable. I think everybody's beatable. I think the West is loaded, and the East is wide open. Do you know the Orlando Magic are like the number two seed right now? Yeah, They're nobody's almost- talking about them. Nobody's talking about the Magic. Nobody. They're they were injured all last team. season. Yeah, they're a great young team. They're not going to be a finals team, but that is where the Eastern Conference lies right now. You look at some of these teams, Chicago, not worried, going to blow up. Atlanta, couldn't be worried. <laughs> Who else? Who else in the East is really a competitor? Is Miami doing anything? No, they stalled on Damian Lillard. And they said, nope, we're going to sit back, do nothing. We lost out. Jimmy Butler's pissed off. They, th- they thought they were going to go back to the finals with high schoolers. No. Uh, who else? Toronto, not doing much. Who else in the East is really that team that fears or that puts fear in your mind? Indiana on a good come up. But are they a finals team? No, they're not. So Probably not a finals team. Probably in a couple of years, though. Maybe. Absolutely. And and I think Halliburton is all world, but you look at the East right now. I think every team is beatable. I think it's wide open and I'm really looking forward to the deadline because if the Sixers add what they need to, I think this is the year they can actually get past second round. I can't believe I'm saying it, but the East is wide open. It's going to be a battle come playoff time. Yeah, that's the best way to put it. Beatable. I'm just saying they're not this juggernaut that nobody can touch. They're just not. Celtics fan in the chat said Jalen Brown significantly better than Maxi playoff player than Maxi. I mean, at the end of the day, Jalen Brown, Tatum, they they haven't got it done. They haven't got it done, and they were in the same place, right? So, do you, do you think there's any team like? Are you fearful of Milwaukee? Do you think that now they have like put together more of a sample size that going into a playoff series, like that's the team you worry about? Honestly, I might be more fearful of Milwaukee, given their experience in their history and Brooke Lopez who can't miss a shot against Philadelphia. Yeah. Um, you got to play them physical when, when Giannis stops getting every call in the world in the regular season, uh, when it, when playoffs come around and you can kind of stonewall them and he can't just plow through everybody. 
It depends how they call the game. I know I sound like a hater, but watching Giannis play just drives me nuts. He really just plays football and get he either he either levels a guy into the second row and dunks it or he gets a foul call every single time. But Brooke Lopez usually turns into a seven foot one Steph Curry against us. Uh but no, they got defensive issues. And when it comes down to it, playoff series, does Damian Lillard the increased offense and decreased defense, does it help you that much more than they were like are they that much better off than they were with Drew Holiday in that spot? Right. Yeah, it's a it's a very valid question. Um, and I don't know the answer. I think this is going to be wide open. I think the Sixers have an opportunity. And I think if they get to the playoffs healthy, they're as good as anybody. So yeah, I I I give the Sixers a shot. M three 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 C. You call it pissing off Celtics fans, we call it Sixers fan coping mechanism. By the way, the Sixers beat the Celtics fully healthy. First matchup of the year. Yeah, they always just yeah, they they don't even I don't even think they watched that game. They they never mentioned that game. I don't think they watched it. Um and I was gonna take your opinion seriously until I saw this. Harden literally carried y'all in the playoffs. That series is not competitive if Harden doesn't step up in ways and bead can't. Two games, Harden was great. Four games in a seven game series, James Harden was the worst player on the floor. I'm talking bench players, everybody. Four games out of seven, he was the worst player on the floor. Game six and game seven, he was three for 18 and was a minus 68. So there, I just, this is just, that's just, it's just craziness to say that Harden carried you in the playoffs because he carried you. Yeah. And he carried you into the depths of the ocean like that, uh, like that, like that uh, submarine that went down there and collapsed. That's what Harden did in the playoffs. He carried you. He didn't carry you anywhere above sea level. The Sixers had that series one. Like I said, it's going to haunt me even maybe more than the other ones because you were four minutes away from winning that, from finally taking down Boston. Boston played like crap the entire series. They didn't deserve to win that series. Then they got beat by Miami. They got beat by who? By who? Jimmy and undrafted. I mean, come on, man. You see what I mean? That the typing their hearts out, man. Look, this guy is literally ninety percent of the chat, dude. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this. It's mean, unbelievable, man. Give your keyboard a break, man. Your batteries are probably low, man. You go, <laughs> Jesus, give it a rest, buddy. I the, my favorite part was the other night when they came flooding into the live stream, and they were pumping their chest out. One guy said that the Celtics had the championship DNA late in the game because they closed out Patrick Beverly and and who. And these other guys that don't even play that much. Furk on Korkmaz. Crazy, man. Celtics, they smell blood, man. So do the Sixers. It's going to be I'm ready a- for another. I'm ready for another healthy matchup against the Celtics. Both teams at full strength. I'm ready for that. They can win it this time. Also, I want to address one more thing in the chat. By the way, shout out to everybody in here, man. Hit the like button if you're in here. Uh, be sure to support both shows. Somebody keeps talking about Halliburton. I don't know about you, but... Everything that I remember and heard and, and researched, et cetera, the Sixers did not have a chance to get Tyrese Halliburton. I don't think they did. I think Daryl Morey was truthful when he said, you know, there was no other uh, offers available. And people keep going back to the Halliburton comment where he said, you know, I thought I was going to play for the Sixers. Why did Halliburton think that? Because he's 20 years old, because he goes on social media, and all the reports are saying, yeah. 
You know, the Sixers could, you know, be available in trade talks with the Kings and Ben Simmons mm-hmm. could be a Sacramento King and Tobias Harris and Matisse Thibel could be Sacramento Kings. I don't think that he turned down an offer of Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris for Tyrese Halliburton, Harrison Barnes, and whoever else was on the table at that time. I just don't think he did that. Well, I think he did because here's why. Ben Simmons at the time still had a lot of a lot of trade value. And if you look at who the if you look at who the Kings traded Halliburton for, uh DeMontis Sabonis, big rebounding power forward-ish center who can pass the ball, run the floor a little bit. I think they might have thought then at the time Ben Simmons is a perfect piece next to uh who's the point guard's name? The one they didn't trade. It's late. You know who I mean? Ooh. Kings. Oh, De'Aaron Fox. Yeah, Ben Simmons is a perfect piece next to De'Aaron Fox. And I feel like they would have made that trade. And we're talking about a guy in Daryl Morey who has a life-size, not anymore, had a life-size painting of James Harden in the entrance to his house. He wasn't trading him for anybody but James Harden. I just don't agree. I don't agree because Ben Simmons did not have a lot of value, as we thought. Ben Simmons was traded to the Brooklyn Nets because the Nets went on an eight-game losing streak and James Harden quit. He literally stopped running down the floor. He stayed out the night before games. They had to trade him. It was the perfect situation for both teams. Ben Simmons sat out half a season. There was no guarantee about what he could still do, and the Kings were trying to make that push into playoff contention, and they traded away a I mean, essentially a future, maybe MVP, all NBA player. So I don't think they were trading him for Ben Simmons. I think they were smarter than that, but maybe not. They are the Kings. So <laughs> did they trade the wrong point guard? Did they trade the wrong point guard? That's a tough question. The, I think the real question is, did they draft too many point guards? They drafted all these guys. They drafted Davion Mitchell. I think That's the true. trade was a win-win, but I really liked Halliburton pre-draft and i i remember yeah, i remember daryl morey being on the radio on uh 95 97 5 and he said sixers fans just want me to, he said we're, we're waiting it out we'll wait the whole four years if it takes that long he wasn't being serious but he was like sixers fans just want me to trade him for a bunch of random players just to get rid of him and i was like a bunch of random players and then the rumors come out that this was possibly offered and he did he just in my opinion <laughs> He saw James Harden. That's what he saw. And he wanted James Harden, and he got James Harden. And Tyrese Halliburton's that dude right now, man. He is. Tyrese Halliburton's all world, man. What he did to the Celtics in crunch time last night? He's unbelievable. I I mean, we're talking about not just a facilitator. We're talking about ISO, double cross on Drew Holiday from 30 feet. He was a superstar scorer last night, not just this facilitating point guard. He was a superstar scorer last night. Tyrese Halliburton's great. I was big on him before the draft, and I remember, you know, the same issues lied then as now. His jump shot is absolutely awful, but it goes in. And I remember before the draft, they did a a pre-draft special on him. He was at home with his family and friends. They said, this guy has like a 4.5 GPA. He's smart. He understands like being a good teammate. He has all the intangibles, and 
when we think about how this franchise has played out with the Ben Simmonses of the world, et cetera, maybe these things need to start being taken into consideration. Tyrese Halliburton is a smart, smart dude. And look at what he's done. He was devastated when he got traded from Sacramento. He said, I wanted to be here my whole career. He did not let it phase him. He has now become an MVP-like player. And damn, he's still pretty young, man. A lot of yeah. money coming his way. A lot of success. Was he 22? 23? I think he is, I would say 23. I think he's 23. I can yeah, and, look it up. and, you know, we, we can't live in the past or hope that we could have possibly had him or anything like that. But uh, when, you, when you look at Tyrese Maxey, I think that Tyrese Maxey is becoming a great scoring point guard. I think that's what I'll call him. Like this, this new age NBA scoring point guard, like a Damian Lillard scoring point guard, not known as a facilitator, can pass the ball, is becoming better at running an offense than he was last year, the year before. But if you can find a combo guy like that, like a Malcolm Brogdon or whoever else, a guy that's more of a floor general facilitator, you can play them together in certain lineups. You can stagger them. There's a lot of things you could do. People think if you get another point guard, you're taking the ball away from Tyrese Maxey. And I think that, no, you let Maxey run certain lineups. And then there's lineups like the one that Nurse brings Pat Bev in the game and has Pat Bev kind of running these pick and rolls and has Maxey playing the, literally the shooting guard in those lineups. There's a lot of different things you can do. And I think he's trying to do it with Pat Bev right now. If you can get a guy that's just a better point guard and defender than Pat Bev, you can play him with Maxey and it doesn't you know, take the ball away from him. Absolutely. I mean, Halliburton sees everything. There's games where he's going out there 15, 16, 17 assists while dropping 30. Like, the sky's the limit. He's 23 years old. I mean, he's just getting started, man. He is going to be a real, real threat. So I'm happy for his success. I'm glad getting traded didn't just, like, completely bottom his career. Like, he's found a way to make it work. And, um, yeah, he's going to be a threat in the East. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you this. If we get to the playoffs, first round against the Pacers, a lot of running. That team runs. Oh, yeah. Space. They don't stop. They're going to tire a lot of teams out, whoever they play in the playoffs. Yeah, and they got some some combo guys that really play their roles well. Matherin and uh, Buddy Heald and uh, who's the other guy there that was really, he was really cooking last night uh, against Boston. Hold on a second. What was last night? Monday? Yeah. Celtics Pacers. They got a lot it's of guys. No, it's a known name, too. He's been around the league for a little while. Neesmith. Yeah. Neesmith. Yeah, Aaron, Aaron Neesmith. Former Celtic. They have uh, Turner, who's bought back into the vision there. They have Bruce Brown, mm. jack of all trades. They have my guy, TJ McConnell. <laughs> TJ. Don't ever tell me again, chat, that uh, TJ is not an NBA player. The guy, he's like a Pat Bev. He finds a way. He's always up in your grill. You're trying to inbound a pass. TJ is there, man. Uh, I'm happy for McConnell. And he got a bag, too, a couple years ago. He did. And the the rebirth of Obi Toppin also on the Indiana Pacers. Hey, man, you got a, a coach that's willing to experiment. A coach that's been around a while, Rick Carlisle, who's willing to experiment with a bunch of young players. See what it, see what it does, right? I mean, he's got all these guys, all these weapons. He's just like, yeah, go out there, play as fast as you can. Don't let anybody catch up to you. Tyrese, you take the ball and, and you run the floor, man. I mean, we're one and one against the Pacers so far, right? We beat them on a Sunday and then we played them like a two, the next 
day, two days later, we played. It was one of those you play the same team two times in a row. Which, come on, NBA, what is this schedule? But uh, yeah, they snapped our win streak. Uh, Tyrese had fifty the first game. That's oh, yeah. I interviewed Nurse the day after. We talked about the fifty point bomb. Um, Kelly Oubre got hit by a car, and then the Sixers lost that second of the back to back. Well, Uber is going to be back tomorrow. Yes, he is. And what do you think the Sixers record will be? We'll, we'll end it off with this. Um, again, I'm going to read out their next 10 games. Washington, Atlanta, Washington, Detroit, Detroit, Charlotte, <laughs> Chicago, Minnesota, Toronto, Miami. Like what? What's their record going to be in that stretch? Are any of them, uh, are any of them traveling back-to-backs? Let no. me look at it. Actually, yeah, one of them is Friday night against Detroit, and then the next day against Charlotte in Charlotte. Yeah, so you go from Detroit to Charlotte. The Hornets aren't good enough to really upset you, though, are they? The Hornets stink. LaMelo Ball like, is out again. I feel really bad for him. I mean, he, every time he gets a flow going, he, the Ball brothers are, have just had bad luck. Uh -huh. They never play again. And LaMelo just keeps getting hurt. He got it oh, hurt. He sprained his ankle again. Sprained his ankle again. It's last always an year, ankle. Last year, he sprained his ankle. He came back. The first game back, he stepped on the lady sitting courtside. Stepped on her foot. Injured again. Oh, how did out. I miss that? I. It's crazy, man. But, yeah, the Hornets are, are nothing special. The Pistons, oh, my gosh. We want to talk about does coaching matter versus talent? The Pistons are bad. Bring Alec Burks back to the Sixers. How about that? Leave that on your on your homework to-do list tonight. Burks has to get traded from Detroit. Bring him back. Alec Burks. <laughs> I liked him when he was here. He had a couple good years in uh in the, for the Knicks, right? Yeah, he was with the Knicks. He was with Golden State. He was he's been around, man. Brett Brown never played him though. In that playoff series. Yeah, he Brett did. Brown wouldn't play him. But yeah, out of those uh, ten games, yeah, let's look at it. Uh, Washington, Atlanta, Washington, Detroit, Detroit, Charlotte, Chicago, Minnesota. Is that what we're talking? About? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Okay, Minnesota and Miami. You're counting Minnesota, Toronto, Miami. Yep, that's the uh, next. Friday, December eighth against Atlanta feels like a trap game to me for some reason. Maybe like a, maybe like a Trey Young, forty-five point whatever, shoot the lights out kind of thing. I don't want to say they're going to win all these games. They're not going to lose to the Washington Wizards. That's just 100% not going to happen. <laughs> they don't play down to competition anymore, especially like we said. They play with so much effort now. They play with they play hard. You don't get these games where you're like, wow, they didn't even try, or right. they go down to the wire with the... Last year, they would go down to the wire with the Washington Wizards and pull it out at the end of the game. Now it's like they're asserting themselves and dominating these these type of teams. So they're not losing to the Wizards. They're not losing to the Pistons. Charlotte, Chicago, Dub. I would love to get revenge on Minnesota because we played them on a traveling back-to-back, -back and Minnesota's still number one seed in the West, number two. I don't remember. Uh, yeah, Minnesota's good right now. They're playing good ball. <laughs> I'll say eight and two. They That's lose to somehow, some way on Friday, they lose to Atlanta, and they lose to the Miami Heat on uh, Christmas Day. Lose to the Heat on Christmas Day. That would be upsetting. 
Um, I'm just trying not to say 12 and 0. I'm, I'm saying 10 <laughs> and 2. <laughs> I think they, as crazy as it may sound, I think they may slip up one to Detroit. I don't know why Detroit has been miserable. Just feels like a trap game, like the night before happen. Charlotte. We uh, did struggle kind of against Detroit in the first half when we played them. Yes, so the, the beginning of this season, we did struggle in the first half. They got a lot of guys that can run up and down the floor, and we came out flat and they ran on us. At Chicago game, there's going to be a lot of buzz around that game. I can't believe the NFL switched because uh, the NFL, the Eagles game against the Seahawks was supposed to be on Sunday, the 17th. They flexed it to Monday night. So now the Eagles are going to be on at the same time as that game. Maybe maybe there's some hype going around with, with Chicago, and, and they don't want us to watch. But um, that'll be an interesting game. I think Minnesota could be tough. I think it, maybe the other loss comes from Minnesota or Miami. That would be my guess. But I think they go eight and two. All right. And hey, that, man, this was fun, bro. This was fun. Glad we did this. Uh, you know, let's try to do it like uh, let's try to do it once a week if we can, man. Let's do it for the people. Yeah, man. Shout out to the chat. Shout out to everybody in here. Uh, we've been up here for an hour and 40 minutes. Damn. Yeah, shout out to the people. Everybody hit the like button. Thanks for being here. Uh, even the Celtics fans, thanks for being here. Algo gang. Uh, I got nothing else, man. You got anything else? Appreciate everybody tapping in. Great talking with you, and uh, good to kind of connect on this like level. You know, just like take a step back from the games and just chop it up a little bit about what we're seeing. I know a lot of people may be, you know, disconnected a bit at this point in the season, but you know, we're gonna keep covering the team. As the days go on, as the games go on, coverage will ramp up. So, you know, we'll keep breaking it down. Appreciate everybody being here.